Our monthly visit with Mayor Scott Gillingham happened today. We talked to him about derelict buildings, construction season, and how for some it feels like maybe there was just a little too much. And the mayor is heading to Houston to discuss homeless strategies because they've got some down there that have worked quite well. The One Chip Challenge. Have you heard of this? It's one chip that is covered in stuff from two of the hottest peppers on earth. And the idea is, can you make it through eating one chip? And a family in the U.S. is blaming their son's death on this challenge. Cannabis and driving. Have crashes gone up since legalization? And the fall leisure guide is out. So we asked you about activities you wish you had tried or maybe still want to. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Loren McNabb and Greg Mackling, who is off today. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And this is the Thursday, September 7th podcast for The Start. It is McGarry and McNabb. Mackling is off today. Coming up at 7.05, we want to have a discussion about allergies in schools and the growing number of food-related allergies that some students are experiencing and just the challenge then that presents when it comes to what do you send your kids to school with? Um, yeah. Like you have a, a food allergy in your house, Loren, so I, I imagine that creates some creativity uh, issues perhaps? For sure, but it also creates concern. So there's two sides of it. You might be a parent out there that thinks, oh man, like what else has been added? You know, nuts are the most common one, peanuts. And then there's been a few other things over the years that get added. And we've seen different people talk about, oh, the list is just really long for their classroom this year of things that they can't pack in the lunch. And so on the one hand, I get you've got annoyed parents who are like, well, what what am I going to pack for them to eat because peanut butter or, or tuna fish or whatever might be the only thing they, they like. And then on the other hand, you have someone like me, particularly when he was young, he's much more aware now, but when he was little, you wanted everyone to stick to their guns on that policy and not send anything to school because you didn't, you know, little kids with their sticky hands and their food, Brett, they'll go around touching and playing and like kissing and hugging and all sorts of things happen when you're in kindergarten because they're all of that loving stage. And you're like, please don't come to school with any peanut butter on you because mm. or bring it to class because you'd be so stressed. So there's two sides of that uh, conversation. We'll continue it at 7.07. In the meantime, there are growing concerns about a social media challenge involving eating extremely spicy chips. It might sound funny, but it can be dangerous. The dare in this case is to eat a chip that's been dusted with two of the world's hottest peppers. As Global's Mike Drolet reports, it's being blamed for the death of a teen in the United States. That was bad. It's a marketing tour de force that's as simple as it is dangerous. Eat a chip. Oh, God. Suffer. Post reaction online and then watch the views multiply. No, hurry up. The company that created the One Chip Challenge offers a warning that its chip is intended for adult consumption, but anybody in the U.S. and Canada can legally buy it. This is like deliberately saying, let's find different ways for these kids to hurt themselves. And now the family of a 14-year-old boy outside of Boston is blaming the chip challenge for his death. Harris Wollabaugh reportedly was sent home after eating a chip at school and then died hours later in hospital. While autopsy results are still pending, the medical community is using Wallaba's case as a warning that extreme spice can be dangerous. What it does is it actually activates a receptor that makes you think you have intense pain. So it causes intense pain, but it also is irritant. So it can cause irritation and, and 
it can cause things like it can disrupt the can disrupt the esophagus. Capsaicin is what gives the chip bite. It's an extract from peppers that Health Canada lists as an animal repellent since it's used in bear spray. It can be consumed, but there's a risk. The two peppers that are used in the chip are rated so hot they make a jalapeno pepper seem positively mild. <laughs> What's happening to my body? There's no shortage of TV shows that use risk to draw viewers. <laughs> and those in turn have helped fuel interest in increasingly dangerous challenges that act as clickbait. There's a lot of room for experimentation, for having fun, for taking risks. So often it doesn't feel totally real, right? Like it doesn't feel like it's necessarily the real world, but it rather it's kind of like a, a media representation of, of the world. So that often makes risk taking a bit easier. The challenge trend is proving difficult to control. And what makes it most worrisome, there's always another challenge on the horizon. Microlake, Global News, Toronto. Now, there's a graphic in that story for TV purposes, which we can tell you about when Mike was speaking of the two peppers used in the chip and how they make a jalapeno pepper seem mild. So jalapeno is rated at 8,000 Scoville heat units or SHU and the two peppers on this chip, the Naga Viper pepper and the Carolina Reaper pepper come in at 1.4 and 1.7 million SHU, respectively. So uh, I have seen friends of mine who have done this and posted it on social media, and predictably they did not have a good time. And in the end, one of them was just really angry at how it tasted like garbage. Mm. But so for some, it's, it's just this fun little thing. But if it's that, I didn't realize just how dangerous it could potentially be. Yeah, the, uh, different stories, and, and particularly there have been different networks in the States looking at this because this was an American teen who died. And again, the autopsy is pending, but they had doctors weigh in about the damage like that extreme spice can do. You know, there's the extreme end, like death, but there could be like esophagus damage and all sorts of other things because of how your body reacts to it. And then Mike at the end there in that story, Mike Drolet of Global National said, you know, the thing is there's always another challenge around the corner. And for years now, largely through social media, we've been talking about all sorts of things. Like there was the Tide Pod Challenge. Yeah. People were eating Tide Pods. There was the um, NyQuil Challenge. Like people were putting NyQuil, the sleep agent, in chicken. And like oh, the yeah. USDA, like the US uh, Food Administration, they had to come out and warn against the misuse of NyQuil, like stop doing that. And I think there's, I think there's a reason why even on those pods, like those detergent pods, they say do not eat these is because of stupidity like this. The challenge becomes, you know, when you look up, like, you know, why are teens doing this? I just looked at a website now that talks about, you know, teens' brains are still developing. And the part that handles rational thought is not fully developed until the mid-20s. Well, social media or not, that that's always been the case. And I feel like even when we were kids or teens, there were stupid challenges that might have been more like jump off this edge of this bridge into yep. the water. Or I think there was even... Soda crackers was one, like how many you can fit in your mouth or how much milk you can consume. And all of them were dumb and potentially life-changing, right? And so is it about the social media? that it, Like, is it worse? Or is it just because we see it now? I just never got filmed doing all the stupid things me or my friends might have done. Yeah, and we've had the other, what are some of the other challenges we've seen? There was that milk crate challenge yeah. where you could see how you'd build this stack of stairs that are built out of milk crates and see if you could stay on them without toppling over, which is super dangerous. I've seen people 
uh, eating cinnamon, yep. just like raw, like just a scoop of cinnamon, which is apparently really, really awful and dangerous for you. And the whole eating of the peppers stuff. I mean, that's the, just eating peppers is a challenge that's been around for like I, I, I can read. There's one here from 2016. A couple of YouTubers tried to eat the world's hottest pepper, the Carolina Reaper. And naturally it was a, a, des, a disaster. Um, but uh, I, I guess sometimes the challenge and maybe the reason the challenge culture has become so uh, pervasive now as well is because it really got off to pretty good start in 20. I think it was 2014 where remember the ice bucket challenge. Yes. That was a well, was good it, thing. Yes, it was for ALS, was it not? And yeah. You, you had to see how long or you threw ice water on yourself or how long you could stay in it. And, you know, some of them had a purpose and it was funny, but not in a life altering or life and death kind of way so it's for sure something i think everyone has to be aware about because if you think you're, if you can think about the things you did when you were a teen and not with social media imagine the risk that's out there now it is mcgarry and McNabb. mackling is off today the fall leisure guide is available and registration begins Next week, Loren, is it for the registration? I think it's Tuesday, yeah. So it went out last week at some point, and you've got a couple of days to prep yourself. For some people, it's a really serious thing, right? You want to get yourself or your kids into the classes and then swim lessons. And for others, it's just a chance to kind of think about who you'd like to be or what you'd like to learn. Yeah, like there, I'm just scrolling through this stuff. There is... I can't believe the the number of things that are offered. Like if you're looking for something in active living and fitness, they have a new... A new course called Metabolic Mayhem. What? <laughs> so that's wow, they're, cool. they're really hyping that one up. <laughs> but uh, so at 204-780-6868, inspired by the Leisure Guide, is there an a, a sport or activity, and it doesn't have to be a, a sport-related activity, but is there a sport or activity you wish you had tried when you were younger, or is there one that you still would like to try? 204-780-6868 for a chance to win Banjo Bowl tickets. Or maybe, the, do you, is there a sport you did play or an activity where you wish you had accomplished something? Like when I played basketball, I always wanted to be able to dunk on a regulation hoop because I'm six foot four and I had friends who were as tall as me or shorter who could dunk because they were more fit and they were more gifted than I was. I can, I never got there because I didn't put in the work. And now I'm just 45, man. I'm turned 46 in three weeks. Uh, my knee hurts all the time. I'm not, I'm not dunking on a 10 foot hoop uh, for the rest of my day. So tell us a story for a chance to win. Loren, why don't we start with you? Okay, so there's certainly a lot of activities I'd like to try, but I've always, every time I pass, there's this guy at Clear Lake who paints every single day that you see him out there. He's made some wonderful calendars. Uh, we've talked about them over the years, Brett. They're beautiful. And every time I walk by him, I think I'd like to just be that person just for a day in the sense of going to that class and having that like palette of colors yeah. and have like a, some sort of great hat on and a brush and <laughs> like a smock covered in paint, but like artsy looking, like not messy looking. And just for a day, try to see if I could actually paint something, if given even just a few tips. Because you hear from people when you get to the right class, how suddenly you have this thing inside of you, you didn't know, whether it might be pottery or paint or coloring, and they just need a couple good tips to get you going. I very much just like the look of it, though. Like, I just want to be the painter for a day. <laughs> So you a painting be- class. <laughs> you want to look the part. Yeah. 
Like, it would be nice if it didn't look like if I came out with more than a stick man or like the only thing I ever really figured out to draw in school was a rainbow, which is like just putting colors, all the colors together. I can't say that's talent. So, yeah, I'd like to take one of their like art classes. That's a good idea. That's a great idea. Yeah. Whenever people go to those painting nights uh, and I've I've seen the side by sides from friends, one of whom is a gifted artist and the other person who sucks at, at painting and drawing, but they, and their, their paintings were almost identical. So you're right. If you get the right class, might unlock something within you. Cameron, what about you? Uh, well, maybe I need to do a demonstration here, but uh, martial arts. I took one oh. class of Taekwondo. Uh, it must have been in the leisure guide, and I'll tell you this. I broke that board with my fist. Okay. Uh, now the instructor snapped that board in half with just his hands, just like <laughs> splitting it like he was breaking a crust of bread. But I'm not talking. That's not important. But what you need is, and in, in, oh. this might not translate. He's standing. You got to get, like, I want to get in the karate and go, yeah, <laughs> 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 get it. Now the leg, now, now I want you to watch this, Brett. This okay. is my level of flexibility. Okay. okay. <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm really good at this. Okay. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I can do full, it. The full punches. I'm just saying. I think I'm talented. I never unlocked the potential. I have the will of the warrior. I just need to. I just need to. Just need to get into it a little bit more. So, um, bravo, bravo, Cam. And yeah, well, I wouldn't want to mess with them. Are the cameras recording in the studio right now? Please tell me they are. Oh, I oh, wonder I if those it. are recording. I don't know. I kind of hope they're not because it's Listen, always on me. I want that. <laughs> and if it is, I want that all over the internet so people know not to mess with me. <laughs> no, at the very least, the demonstration, and now we have seen it, Sarah, and I can corroborate. Don't mess with Cam. No, stay away. <laughs> I'm going to get into martial arts. I'm getting into it. There you go. That's a good thing to, to aspire to. Sarah, what about you? Well, first of all, I do have to say he was stretching out there beforehand in practice. I was. <laughs> I was. <laughs> Yeah. Um, mine's a lot calmer than that. Um, the other week, I did go and paint pottery, but I would like to try and make the pottery oh. first. But I don't think I have the patience, to be honest. So we'll see if that happens. Um, for sport, I'd like to try badminton. Tried out in high school, and then we ended up, me and my partner just ended up quitting, basically. We just had too, ma- too much on our plate at the time, we thought, as grade nine students. but So hopefully <laughs> pick that up again someday. And for- Forte, what about you? You know what? Uh, I think I would like to try diving, like learning how to do like the flips and spins, because right now if I get onto a diving board, I get freaked out that I'm going to do a belly flop or I'm going to overshoot mm. and land on my back, do back flop. I guess that's what it'd be called. But yeah, I, I, I think it'd be, well, I, I'd also like to jump off high things. Uh, it's a little scary, but I think it's fun. But learning the spins and the dips and the dives, I think that would be uh, pretty cool. It would be cool. It'd be like, uh, like being on a roller coaster just in the air, right? Absolutely. By the way, Cam, I'm looking here. They do offer... Uh, Shotokan Karate classes. There's a family class. There's also one that's a beginner level for eight years to an adult. So Mm. you could be like that Seinfeld episode where Kramer (laughs) is wailing on all these kids in his karate class. (laughs) Yeah, I'd have to find an adult class, I think. But uh, no, I was watching, I was at uh, Folklorama and they were doing judo too as well. And, you know, the tosses and stuff. And I was like, that seems pretty cool as well. Maybe I'll be a black belt in both. I don't know. We'll see. 
to We're both. just going to be a tremendous team in like one year's time, <laughs> yeah. eh? Like, what a great group. We're just going to have karate moves. I'm going to have art everywhere. Sarah's going to have pottery. Forte will be freestyle diving, like... <laughs> All over gonna, the world. He's going to be jumping off the top. He's going to be having, you know, that move where you, you touch your toes and like the whole body yes. goes. Yes. He's going to be rocking that. Like a handstand on the diving board where you do a flip reverse quad triple whammy, whatever that's. Nick yeah, me a pool. Screw. Nick me a pool out of pottery. <laughs> My first assignment. 204 780 in honor of the leisure guide being available now with registration next week. What is an activity you wished you always had tried and maybe still plan to do it? And it does not have to be fitness or sporting related. We are going to pick a winner for the Banjo Bowl tickets at 915. McGarry and McNabb, Mackling is off today. It is Thursday, which means our small town salute is coming up at 735. And we're hoping to head to Elkhorn and speak to a country singing star who has been bestowed with a special honor in her hometown. So that's at 735. Weekly visit with the mayor coming up at 835. And in a moment, we'll talk food allergies in schools. But before that, we want to know what's an activity or sport you wish you had tried when you were younger, or maybe you still want to try it. What does Richard say, Loren? Richard says, I took automotive technologies in high school and have never regretted that specific decision. The knowledge is given me it's given me has helped me out immensely. But I do wish I had taken drama in school. I'm already the outgoing entertainment type. I feel like I would have benefited from an education in how to write scripts and put together a show. Also, the thought of being able to be creative and laugh and have a good time always intrigued me. It's probably the thing I look back on school and most wonder, what if I had done that instead? Ah, that's an interesting thought, Richard. Thank you for that at 204-780-6868 for a chance to win tickets for the Banjo Bowl. We are going to pick a winner at 915. If you've got kids in school, do they have any rules when it comes to what they can or can't bring to school in their lunch? So most schools have some sort of peanut, maybe even a nut policy, tree nut policy, something simple like all students are asked to avoid bringing any nut products for lunch and or snack kind of thing. That's been in place for years, Brett. But it's not the only food item that could end up on the list. I, you know, I was looking at various divisions this morning. It might be a school-by-school school policy, division-by-division division policy, even class-by-class. Class. But at WSD, for example, it also says that you might be asked to avoid setting items which contain peanuts, nuts, or another food if there is a child with a life-threatening allergy in the classroom or lunch program. So that could mean you're being asked to not send food with nuts, but maybe also fish or eggs. In the case of the Winnipeg School Division and many others, letters asking parents to avoid certain foods go on to say, please understand how important a role you play and how much your support is appreciated by all who entrusted with the, who are entrusted with the safety of our children. So as most of you know, we brought this up a half hour ago. One of my kids is severely allergic to peanuts. He can go into anaphylactic shock. He carries an EpiPen. And so policies like these make sense to me, particularly when he was young and not able to manage that allergy on his own as well. I mean, when you're younger, you can't read all the labels. You really can't avoid sticky hands or tables that might be covered in peanut butter. So that ban was, and, and if I'm being honest, still is very welcome. 
I, I get the challenge of making lunches, making healthy lunches, making any lunch your kid will eat at all when you have to cut out certain items. And when you get that letter home telling you there's more than a few things on that list, you might be frustrated. So I'm wondering from the parents that are out there, if they've seen these lists expand over the years, have you pushed back? Or accepted it. I mean, I recall reading a story a few years ago out of Ontario where one parent was concerned because the list of foods, it wasn't just nuts and shellfish. There was also flax and barley and sesame and a whole host of things on it. And so she was more of just in a panic of like, what bread do I use? And how do I afford some of these items? Because that can make things more expensive. And in the end, that list eventually was adjusted in that Ontario school because the teacher narrowed it down from what was it just a food intolerance and I don't mean just because those can be hard to live with but then versus a life-threatening allergy so I'm just we're curious this morning where people sit with this because we've learned a lot about allergies over the years which is a good thing but uh, but there are challenges on both sides of this and and then beyond that Brad I'm curious if people think and it could be if you have a kid with an allergy or not should there be an age or school year where we accept that the kid might be old enough to manage that allergy without a rule? It was super controversial in Quebec a few years ago. They removed the ban at one of the largest school divisions there on peanuts because they, they came to a conclusion that it, it didn't make sense. And that was really controversial. And I, I would have not liked that um, if that had happened, particularly when my kid was young. But it, it can be hard to make kids eat their lunches, period let alone when there's these lists. And I, I personally find it hard this time of year because I also hear from parents like, oh God, here we go again. Now I've got to get all my peanut-free snacks out. And I'm sitting there thinking, please do, because if you don't, it could really hurt my kid. And so it, there's all those emotions attached to it. And what, I don't remember, and I'm not by saying I don't remember, I'm not saying it didn't exist. But when I was a kid, I don't remember any of my classmates uh, having a food allergy was it an issue for at your age or when you were a kid? I do know there was one with nuts, and I but I don't believe it was there was a ban. I believe it was just sort of be aware of it. Okay, and and I think what the thing is now is that we've just learned more. We know that there's potentially more allergies out there and more questions from parents, and so you're trying to accommodate. But the list, you know, Cara just texted now. Let me double check if that was the name. Yeah, to say that uh, at one of the schools of her kids last year they banned bananas, and. She says, I was shocked and super annoyed. And on the other hand, if you're someone whose kids could die if they come into contact with that, then you're thinking ban the banana. It, it, I, I don't know where I don't know where the I don't know where to go with that, because it could be the list could expand. The more more the more people are getting testing, the more people become aware about what's going on versus what we just sort of endured 30 years ago. It, the list will then potentially grow in terms of all the foods that might be banned. And I'd be curious to know what would I what would I have eaten as a child if, say, peanut butter was not allowed and bananas were not allowed? Uh, because that is pretty. That's <laughs> pretty much all I ate mm-hmm. when I when I was a kid. And so, not, I'm not. That's not a complaint. I get it. If you, I have a friend who has a nut allergy, and he carries an EpiPen with him, and uh, sometimes I'll, bring, you know, mindlessly bring a peanut butter sandwich to the golf course, uh, and then he he's around, and then I kind of go, oh, that was dumb, and I just make sure to. Not be near him when I'm eating and make sure that everything is clean and my hands are clean. It is McGarry and McNabb. Mackling is off today. We are asking you for a chance to win Banjo Bowl tickets about an activity or a sport you wish you had tried or maybe would still like to try. What does Julie have to say? Julie is amazing. Julie says, I lost 75 pounds and was looking for something to keep me fit. 
I tried badminton, but an injury took me out of the sport for good. So I had to look again for a low impact sport that would work for me and my body. I had just watched the Olympics and was always fascinated by rowing. Last year in June, I took a class, a row class and was hooked after my first lesson. This year, I decided to level up to competitive masters rowing and competed in two regattas this oh, summer. Oh, cool. Julie attached a pick. And then added, I found my sport and love the thrill of competition. Oh, that is wonderful that you're able to t- take the, you know, take this bad, the career ending injury for badminton and find something that you love even more. And well, and it just being out in the water is, mm-hmm. it's so much fun. I, I, uh, did dragon boating for a few years and that's paddling, not rowing, but, uh, still it was just, it's a lot of fun. And I've always wanted to actually try rowing as well. So that's great, Julie. And then, uh, we also got some feedback here on allergies at school. Well, we're talking about allergies and the, and the, how you handle any food bans that might be in place in your school. And so one of our listeners said that when their daughter was in elementary, middle and high school, they had a classmate that was in most of the classes that had a nut shellfish egg and mayonnaise allergy. So it was really difficult to send a sandwich as it couldn't have mayo or a salad with certain types of salad dressing. Uh, it was definitely a challenge and it was frustrating, they say. And so I'm, I'm curious how schools are going to handle this going forward because, the, you know, I've seen lists that, and I can't decide if they're joke lists or if they're real lists that, that teachers have sent out that include all sorts of foods on it. And you might look at that and think, hang on, what am I making, period? You know, it's one thing to eliminate the peanut butter but when you start adding a whole host of other things. You're, you you really don't know how to make the lunch, Brett. But but then what about the parent? If the kid has a severe life threatening allergy, you're worried that the kids are going to bring the stuff to school and it could harm them. So I don't know. It, it, I, I, it, peanuts was a thing what twenty years ago that came in. Maybe thirty started to do it in schools. But there's a longer list that's coming out there. And whew, I'm just thinking about what to make my kids for lunch right now. And I wouldn't have anything in the fridge if it had some of these things on it. (laughs) Are there more kids popping up with allergies or are there more allergy? Like, is there a growing number of allergies or is it just that they've always been there, but maybe we didn't really know what we were dealing with? Well, I think there's for sure been an uptick and there's, and, and we're seeing them not just in kids, but they're also becoming more common in adults and you know there's all sorts of questions about why they might be on the rise and it could be because we also just have the testing to do more now or you might be more aware to go get that testing done uh but it's been a big question you know because you'll always hear someone might this didn't happen when i was a kid so why are we dealing with this now but you know as someone who's who's deals with this in my home it's super stressful uh to know that you're just kind of putting your kid out there and hoping that everything goes well for eight hours a day. And on the other hand, at some point, they have to learn to deal with it in life like your friend, Brett, as an adult, just knows how to manage it, right? You can continue to weigh in at 204-780-6868. It is our small town salute, and this week... For the small town salute, we are heading to heading some 300-ish kilometers west, almost to the border of Saskatchewan, to Elkhorn, Manitoba, a town which has honored our next guest, Loren, in a special way. The 2018 Manitoba Country Music Association Fans' Choice Entertainer of the Year Award winner has earned praise for her powerhouse vocals, and her live show was called A Must See by Top Country News and our own CJOB Sports Director, Kelly Moore. It has been said few artists capture the spirit of country music award 
country music like our next guest, Kendra Kay. Good morning, Kendra. Great to finally connect with you. Yes, good morning. Thanks for having me on the show. Let's talk about, first of all, what happened last month, because Elkhorn did something pretty special in your honor. What exactly did they do? Yeah, I am so blessed to be from Elkhorn. Um, a couple weeks ago, uh, the long weekend of August, actually, it was Elkhorn's homecoming, and they did a big, you know, welcome home, Kendra Kay, um, and I played a show, and the town surprised me. They put up uh, a billboard, a sign coming into town that says, Proud Home of Kendra Kay. Um that weekend and I honestly I'm I'm so blessed and honored I I had no no words and I'm still speechless and in awe every time I come into town because it's always kind of been a weird little dream of mine um growing up there was a there's a sign outside of town uh for Sheldon Kennedy who was an NHL hockey player and I always kind of joked that I was going to work as hard as I could to get my face up on a billboard sign coming into town and it was a real surreal moment to to see that go up, and it's it's such an honor. Was it? Did you know it was coming, or or did you just like happen upon it and go, "Whoa"? They uh, they did it. I guess they've been working on it since last winter, um, and uh, it was a surprise. Uh, they did. My mom was in the know, and my family all knew about it. So of course, they had to uh, had had to kind of tell me what was going on, so that I was there for the presentation of the day that it happened but I didn't know leading up to that so it was a very big surprise and um yeah it's I get a huge surprise I mean it's something that I would have never expected to happen I was completely dumbfounded when I found out oh it's like those the things that you think are little things become big things and they mean so much and, and I grew up in a small town to not not too far from you, Kendra. And I was just looking at the map now and thinking there's a lot of people out there who've probably been through Elkhorn before. Would they have known it? Like, how would you describe Elkhorn in terms of its size and how many people and all the rest? Because you're right on the number one, correct? Yeah, it's right on number one highway. Um, the town is pretty small. It's only 500 people. The sense of community in that town is very huge. And I've, you know, I didn't realize that as much as a kid because, I mean, it, it was just the normal thing. But as an adult, when I, you know, moved away from home and then as I come back home uh, to see my family and be home for events, I just, I see that sense of community that Elkhorn has. It's a very big um, sports-driven town. Hockey is very big. So is baseball in town. And the support that the little town gives to the rink and the fairgrounds for the ball diamonds and even our Western weekend and the homecoming weekend and everything is is amazing. Um, I I can't believe the support that you know such a small group of people bring to each other, and it's it's pretty amazing. So I'm pretty blessed to be from that town. I do know that that's why I have such a great support system because when I started doing this, I had 500 fans from day one because the whole town has always been rooting for me, and I've always felt that. And every time you know I'm home. And, you know, if I go uptown, if I'm in the grocery store or the post office, um, every single person in town stops to ask me how things are going. And that they say that they're so excited and happy for me. And that's the sense of community that I'm so proud to be from because that's what, you know, small town living in Manitoba is all about. And I think Elkhorn does a great job of capturing that. And for our small town salute, that's what we're talking about today. Elkhorn and our guest is Kendra Kay, as on uh, in early August, the, uh, a billboard was erected in uh, that says the proud home of Kendra Kay, country music recording artist. And regarding your music, Kendra, you know, with the aforementioned thought that few artists capture the spirit of country music like you do, 
How would you describe the spirit of country music? I think for me, um, it's just because of my country roots. My family has always um, been involved with horses. My family truck wagon races, and I barrel race in the summertime when I'm not on the road with music. So I feel like my my roots in actual country and my country way of life and living on the farm and, you know, having that in me is something that sets me apart from a lot of country artists um, that, you know, maybe live in the city and, and love the country lifestyle, but maybe haven't quite lived it the way that I have. So I feel like um, when people say that, they, they feel that in me, they feel that authenticity of what country is because I live it every day and um, I love that. I love that it's it's turned into a brand for me um, that I get to be this country girl, um, you know, the one that rides horses and does videos out on the farm, but the truth is that's just who I am, and that's my everyday life, and I, I love that I can incorporate that into my music. You mentioned barrel racing there, Kendra. What gives you more of a thrill, the start of a, uh, a race or when the first chord hits and you're on stage? Like, are, there, are they similar feelings of nerves and anticipation? Oh, honestly, you know what? I get more nervous going into barrel race, I think, than I do going on stage, um, it is, it's, there's big adrenaline and big like hype for both of them, but they're totally different. I feel like, uh, the one, you know, with barrel racing, it's a lot more excitement and, um, anticipation just with the energy of your horse. And as where like the stage is just like, it's like a power thing for me. It's kind of where I just become the strongest version of myself. And, um, but I'd say they're both like, top of the list i get my heart rate's high um i'm in the best mood of my life i'm doing what i love and they're both at the top of the list of you know the things that make me happiest in life well yeah you you talk about your horse uh, so uh jan we understand that that uh is there one named jan in your life yes jan is jan is the horse she is um i you know people talk about a heart horse jan is that she is uh my barrel horse and she's been um in four photo shoots and a music video and she's on the billboard with me she's on the cover of my debut album um she's she's my girl that's that's the my plan uh, when i started kind of taking pictures and doing this stuff with jan when you know bringing the the ranch brand into my music was you know so pushed was i'm gonna make jan like the most famous horse in country music and i love that people bring up her name and they know who she is because that's pretty cool for me <laughs> and what about and- rip Who's Rip, Rip? Yeah, Rip's the dog. He's uh, he's my year old uh, German Shorthaired Pointer. So he's also all over my social media. I got this puppy last year, and he's just brought so much joy into my life. He's my travel partner. He comes everywhere with me. He's always with me. Um, I take him to shows. He he comes to hotel rooms, and he's just the best. My best little friend here. He's just uh, he's been so much joy in my life. I love my animals. If you can't tell, I'm uh, I'm definitely an animal girl. <laughs> Rip from Yellowstone? Is that where that may have come from? It's a little bit of both. He's uh, The pointers are very high-energy dogs, so he rips <laughs> around a lot. So it was kind of, I like the name, and it suits his personality because he just rips all day long. <laughs> I love it. Well, Kendra, it's been wonderful catching up to you, with you. Before we let you go, where are you off to? or where, what's What's in store for you the next couple of weeks? Oh, the next couple of weeks are going to be busy. I'm actually in the city um, coming up. Uh, for the Make-A-Wish Foundation, the Slow Pitch uh, 
at Last Mountain, uh, Little Mountain Sportsplex, um, for a show and some ball games. And then we're off to CCMAs in Hamilton um, at the next week. So um, it'll be a busy couple of weeks. I have quite a few showcases and events to hit up at CCMAs. And, um, and then it's a trip to Nashville, uh, back down to do more recording, which I'm super, super, super excited about because I can't wait to get back into the studio and keep recording new music. So it's, it's, it'll be a good time. Well, Kendra Kay, thank you for taking the time to speak to us today. We really appreciate this. And, um, and again, the, the billboard is beautiful. So that's pretty cool. Congrats. Thank you so much. I appreciate that so much. Kendra Kay joining us live talking Elkhorn, which in early August posted a billboard in her honor saying proud home of country music recording artist Kendra Kay. New data shows an alarming trend when it comes to cannabis use, traffic incidents and an increase in trips to the emergency room. What was Catherine Ward has details. Driving and drugs can be a deadly combination. He killed my sister and my three babies. With consequences lasting a lifetime for those left with nothing but their grief. I still lost my wife. My kids still lost their mother. Researchers in Ottawa wanted to know how the legalization of cannabis in 2018 might be contributing to traffic-related injuries. Lead author Dr. Daniel Myron says the numbers in Ontario are a big problem. Since 2010, there has been a very, very large increase in cannabis involvement in traffic injury visits in Ontario. Uh, and if you actually look at how that changes year to year, going into legalization, this is increasing. This is a growing problem over time. The study took into account incidents with motor vehicles, cyclists and pedestrians. Data shows after cannabis became legal, there was a 94% increase in the number of emergency department visits for traffic injuries where cannabis was involved. When COVID-19 happened, there was an even larger jump of 223% when compared to the pre-legalization period. OPP Sergeant Kerry Schmidt says officers see these numbers play out all too frequently, with people often unaware of the dangers. I can tell you you from speaking to uh, drivers who have been arrested, they have no idea how bad their driving has been until they finally see the dash cam or the video uh, evidence showing them all over the road going through lights. Plus, there is a growing concern about alcohol and cannabis being used together. They multiply off of each other. They increase the impairing effect of both substances. Around 40% of the traffic injury visits where you have documented cannabis use have documented alcohol use at the same time. Researchers say it's unclear what the long-term implications are going to be, but that more surveillance and time in the market is needed. Meanwhile, police are urging people who choose to use cannabis to plan ahead and arrange a ride in order to keep everyone safe on the roads. Catherine Ward, Global News. Toronto. I suppose in some ways, Brad, it's no surprise that this would happen. You have increased access and therefore you might have increased consequences as a result, right? You, you're able to do it and you can, and you might not even realize that you're impaired. And one, one of the things for me is that I have tried some of those uh, oils or drinks mm-hmm. at night to help me sleep, but I'm loath to do it on a work night because I'm just not sure at 3 a.m. when I wake up what will still be in my system. And I don't want to be testing that 
on the road, so to speak, kind of the same way, really. Mm. Like sometimes when you take a, I've taken even Neo Citroen, which knock you right out. And if I don't have eight hours ahead of me, I don't like to take those either because I don't want to be getting up because that makes me so drowsy. And so you're like, when you're using these substances, are you planning ahead? I'm not surprised we're seeing this increase. The question is, how do we manage it and make sure that we're make, keeping the road safer? Yeah, because I, I remember when I was stood back in school at Red River. Uh, so we're going back 20 years. And I picked up one of my classmates for an early assignment. And she said, <laughs> she said, it sounded like a puppy because she was so tired and she just wanted to pick me up. So she said, Brad, can I smoke weed in your car? And I had to decline. I had to say no. And it wasn't because I had some sort of moral uh, objection to what she was asking me, but I just didn't want to be want like that. I, didn't, I was scared that there might be like a hot that hot box effect, yeah, yeah, where I'd get high off of her stuff while I'm at the wheel of the car. And because uh, I've only tried cannabis a couple of times in my life, uh, even after it got legalized, I tried it once, and it has never gone well for me personally. So I just I had to say no. So the idea that there are people. I'm sure there are a lot of people who use cannabis all the time and maybe think they can they're they're okay driving, but I won't I don't even like to get in my car and drive if I've had to take two, if I've had a bad day with allergies and if had as a result I've had oh, to take yeah. a lot of antihistamines. I've had to pull over for because I was having an allergic attack and took a pill and then had to I, I just thought I was too drowsy and I pulled over and napped until I felt better because it just the impact of some of those Antihistamines can be quite intense. Yeah. One of our listeners has a great question. They're asking, has the legalization of cannabis created a reduction in alcohol-related accidents? Like, did cannabis go up, but maybe alcohol go down? Because mm. there, there is a group of people who've moved completely from, uh, they don't drink anymore. They might just try some of those drinks or smoke or gummies or what have you, and they've reduced their alcohol consumption. So that's that's a good point. And, and when I, whenever we're talking about accidents and the, the trends that are out there, whether, whether, whether it be drug use or alcohol or other, I'm always wondering how we're documenting or do we know the number of crashes that are truly caused by distracted drivers and texting and driving? Mm. Yeah, I, I wonder how often in a crash are police able to check the phone to see if they were person was on it at the time of that crash? Is that even doable? Like, do we really have a sense of the the injuries and fatalities related to that? Because there are many times on the road where I think I'm behind a dry or a high or drunk driver, you know, in the middle of the day. Mm -hmm. And when you go to pass them, you realize they're just on their phone. It is McGarry and McNabb. Mackling is off today. Quick reminder that at 204-780-6868, Banjo Bowl tickets up for grabs. We're going to pick a winner at 9.15, and we want to know what's a, an activity or a sport that you always wanted to try, maybe you wish you had tried, maybe you had an opportunity and said no and kicked yourself for it, or may, and maybe you're thinking about trying it now. It's inspired by the fact that the city's leisure guide is out and registration starts next week. And speaking of the city, Loren McNabb, it is time for our monthly visit with Mayor Scott Gillingham. Mr. Mayor, good morning. Good morning, Brett Loren. So you've been on the job as mayor for almost a year now. Prior to the 2022 election, we spent weeks talking about a key issue for many Winnipeggers, and that's derelict buildings. So we just want to play a piece of audio uh, for you here and then ask you some questions about that. An eyesore that's attracting crime, dumping, and scavengers. There are times I can't open my, my windows in the kitchen 
because the smell from it has become horrendous. This vacant home engulfed in flames last August, nearly taking Tracy Ball's home with it, and it sat demolished since that day. It just feels frustrating that no matter who we've talked to, no matter how much noise we make, how much we express concerns and health worries and all the rest of it, nothing gets done. So that was Global's Rosanna Hempel talking to Tracy Ball. She lives on Matheson. Just to recap again, last year she thought this fire that finally took down this derelict home next to her would be the beginning of the end. Instead, the home was demolished and the pile of rubble sort of just left there to rot in her mind. So, Mr. Mayor, what do you say to someone like Tracy who's done all the right things and still a year plus later is living next to this mess? Well, residents like Tracy are tired of this problem and so am I and and so is, is council. We have taken some steps recently, a bit of carrot and stick approach. We've made it easier for building owners who've got problematic buildings to demolish their buildings. But uh, we've also added uh, the, the cost of, of firefighting to, uh, to the property owner. So if there's a vacant building, there's a fire in the building, the, the property owners have to pay the cost of, of that building, of, of, of the fire. And we've also increased uh, financial penalties for owners who don't secure their properties uh, and now, now we're looking uh, at whether or not the city should go in, clean up the sites, and uh, and put the cost of that on on the property owner's property tax bill. The one challenge with that is is our public service is reporting that the city may not recoup the full cost, and so we have to weigh that out. Do we do we charge the rest of Winnipeg taxpayers the cost of, of cleaning up someone's property? Um, but we we continue to work on this. There's more that needs to be done. So am I hearing it right? We might not have the money to go in and clean that up because we don't get those fines paid back or the property owner doesn't eventually pony up, Mr. Mayor? It's, it's, it's that we, we might not recoup the, the money fully. For example, if there's a situation like we see on Main Street right now where there's been uh, three, three commercial properties that have been, you know, the rubble has been sitting there for months. Finally, they're getting cleaned up uh, at this point. But it was because there was asbestos and the province put a stop work order on the cleanup of that site. So the property owner, forcing the property owner to deal with asbestos. If the city had to do that, even if we sell the property, if we take the pro- if we end up with the property in tax sale and we sell the property, we might not recoup the full cost of cleaning up the site. So all of that has to be weighed together. So, so with, oh, go ahead, Lorraine. No, sorry to interrupt, Brett. I just wanted to ask then, like, wh- how long is someone supposed to wait then? So I, I get that you've made changes. I get that we're increasing the fines. I get that we're going to ask whether or not we should just clean it up ourselves as the city, even if we don't get them recoup the, the loss of that cleanup. But how long, like, is there not a timeline we should be putting on this so that someone like Tracy can say, well, at least within a year, I know that's going to get cleaned up or within six months or two years. I mean, someone shouldn't have to wait for years on end. Yeah, there are, there are some timelines on, on cleaning up properties. Um, but uh, again, if, if in the fines for not uh, complying with those timelines, all those fines can get end up getting put on 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 the properties. The the bottom line, you know, Loren and Brett, is people like Tracy are right. It's taking too long to clean up properties in too many instances, whether it's related to illegal dumping, or uh, a fire in a building, or the demolition of a building. In too many cases, it's taking too long, and residents are having to put up with looking at an, an unsightly neighborhood blight. It's not right. It's not fair. We're working on it. I'm not satisfied with where we're at, and we're going to continue to work on it until it gets better. So let's switch to homelessness strategy now, because you're traveling to Houston next week? 
Yes, uh, I'm, I'm heading to Houston on Sunday for, for a couple of days to see their model. Houston, over the last 10 years, has made a lot of progress on addressing homelessness. And they've, they've done it through, you know, something similar to what I've been calling for, is that all agencies and the city and the county and the state all work on one plan. There's a shared plan. It's a coordinated plan uh, that, that everyone works off of. They share data. It's a housing-first approach. And they've been able to uh, house, move 25,000 people over the last decade off the street and into some form of housing. We've talked a bit about this in the past, Mr. Mayor. Is, is the idea that right now we have a lot of agencies doing good work, but there might be duplication or stepping on one another or, or maybe not even getting along, like that if we had a sort of a hub, there would be a more coordinated approach? I think that's, that's an accurate description, uh, Loren, of, of what's happening. A lot of agencies in our city doing very good work, sometimes overlap, uh, sometimes gaps. And, but, but right now, there's not a, 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 a whole kind of uh, approach and, and one coordinated approach. I've, I've used the illustration, I think, even on, on CJOB before, of the difference between kayaks in a river and everybody in a dragon boat. Right now, we're kind of, you know, we're kayaks in a river uh, when it comes to approaching homelessness. And, and we need to be everybody in a dragon boat. So whether it's the provincial government, the city of Winnipeg, our social service agencies uh, and, and, and community providers, we all need to be working off the same plan if we're really going to tackle this and make a difference for those struggling with homelessness. Let's also talk about road construction because it's, look, it's everywhere. And, and of course, it's badly needed. But some of our listeners think this summer has been particularly challenging and we're just wondering, like, have we bitten off more than we can chew? I.e., is it possible that maybe the effort has been too ambitious this season, that some of the work is taking longer than promised? Uh, is it just because, like, do we just not have the people power to finish the jobs? Well, it's actually been, when I talked to uh, some of the road construction crews, uh, it's actually been a good summer, I'm, I'm hearing, from for road construction. The weather has been better than it was last year. They're getting more work done this year. Uh, it is it is a double-edged sword. We, we do see that everybody knows we need improvement in our roads and, and repairs in our roads. And, and uh, but but on the other hand, it does interrupt the uh, you know the, the timelines. Yesterday, I was headed from City Hall to an appointment, uh, a, a meeting that I was supposed to be at, and I was ended up even though I left in good time, I was 15 minutes late because of all the different road construction. Even though I tried to avoid it, so. It's, uh, it's a double-edged sword. We need it. We're getting, you know, we've got a couple months left or maybe a month and a half left in, in the road construction season to get as much work done as possible. It's stressful for, for commuters. We had one listener tell us that she actually just abandoned sort of the St. Vital, St. Boniface area altogether and went out to the perimeter and around to get to work just because she was frustrated. So there's the time. But there's also the businesses that are surrounded by ice uh, uh, construction. There's an ice cream shop I know of in St. Boniface that has it on all sides. And so when it comes to those businesses, first of all, some of them might ask, why don't we do longer hours? Are we talked about altering hours or doing work during less disruptive time for businesses, maybe nights or weekends? Is that on the table? Well, we've talked about that before. And when I was a city councillor uh, in, in my last term uh, of, uh, of office, we, we did raise that. And that comes up regularly, whether or not we can go to extended hours or 24-7 uh, road construction operations. One of the challenges with that is that all uh, construction companies uh, and even the city of Winnipeg, there's a labor shortage right now. So even if we could extend the hours, there may not be the people I hear 
to to fill the jobs to do the road construction you know late into the evening we do have extended construction hours on road construction throughout the summer months to to take advantage of our longer days but as far as going to a 24-hour operation um, my understanding is there's just literally not the people to uh, to even uh, approach that. Well, and even if even if you did, would you be able to do it just in terms of noise, or would you have to be sort of okay? Well, we can allow this project to to move forward because there's no homes around here, but uh, this thing on court, and we that's we got to shut that down by nine p.m. because noise. I think that's right, Brett. It, it, it would be more about the location as far as, you know, what proper, what uh, what locations would be conducive to extended hours of road construction. If you've got an area where there's not a lot of residences uh, and, and not a lot of homes, perhaps on our major corridors, those are more likely, you know, appropriate candidates for extended hours. But if you're in a residential area and you're on a residential street, uh, you don't want to hear jackhammering at, at midnight. Yeah, sometimes you're in a rock in a hard place, literally. But on the other hand, I, I, I feel for some of these businesses, and I know you've been asked this before, Montreal has a financial assistant pro, assistance program for, for those that might be affected by major construction. Do we have any sort of compensation in the work for businesses, something similar here, or, or is that a possibility? Uh, we, we don't at this point. And what we're really, you know, what I've impressed you more so is that our projects, our road projects get, uh, you know, staged well, uh, coordinate well and reduce the timelines get the projects done as soon as possible so we're not disrupting businesses i know that's not always the case but again when i was a city councilor i heard consistently from businesses uh that that were you know had road construction going on in front of their in front of their property uh, just about the concern about the timelines and the impact on business so uh it's one of those things where we you know we, we need our crews to get things done as quickly as possible to limit the disruption to businesses because once those roads are reconstructed, you know, hopefully the road crews don't have to come back for, for decades. Mayor Scott Gillingham joining us live on 680 CJOB. Mr. Mayor, thank you for the time as always. We appreciate it, sir. Thank you. Have a good day. Our monthly visit with the mayor on the start. It is McGarry and McNabb. Mackling is off today. And just on the subject of the, the he mentioned the jackhammer. And uh, yeah, that's not something you want to hear at midnight because just for the last two years now, the last, for all, like all summer of 2022 and all summer so far of 2023, there's a crew that's been sort of patching doing patchwork on uh, my parkade in my parkade and uh, my apartment complex. And because they, they can't shut it down, mm-hmm. they have to kind of piecemeal it. And it's been every, every day I get home and all I hear is brrr, 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 until like four o'clock. Uh, well, that's, that's the problem. I mean, like, you know, you might be trying to nap at that time or on our hours, we might be wanting to be in bed at seven. So if they were working t- until say 11, you'd be annoyed. But if you're someone who's up, Later, you know, it might work for you. I, I, that's a, the timeline of construction is a hard one in terms of do you go twenty four hours because it's going to annoy someone for sure. But feel free to let us know what you think about that at two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight. It is McGarry and McNabb. Mackling is off today. We are giving away Banjo Bowl tickets in our next segment, and we want to ask you what's an activity or a sport that you wish you had tried or wished you could try, like Deanna, who says, I can only start by saying you really think you know someone until 
After my husband, says Deanna, we're married for almost a decade, I finally found out that one of the things on his bucket list was to learn how to be a rodeo clown, specifically <laughs> in the barrel. Not a chance I would have guessed that was on his bucket list. I asked, did he do it? And Deanna says, not yet. But there you go. That's pretty fun. And we talked oh, to Berenger Tinder K about barrel racing earlier and about rodeo stuff for our small town salute. So it would be dangerous though, right? I think it is based on how close you have to work with like bulls and horses and <laughs> all the rest. And you're hiding and you're taunting them and you're trying to keep the crowd safe. And I, with some of these things, you genuinely wonder how someone gets into it, right? I don't want to be the guy on the horse. I don't want to be someone chasing anything. I don't want to use a rope. I just want to be the clown distracting the bull, you know? And maybe not get gored. And not get gored. <laughs> <laughs> so that's great, though. That's fun, Dion. Thank you for that. We'll pick a winner for the Benja Bull tickets in our next segment. But next Friday, September 15th, it's going to be a special day on 680 CJOB as we host the Be a Part of a Story Radiothon in support of Adult and Teen Challenge. So Danny McVeigh is the Regional Program Director for Adult and Teen Challenge in Central Canada and joins us now. Good morning, Danny. Good morning. How are you guys? Wonderful. Just for those who might not know or might think they know, can you give me sort of in a nutshell what is Adult and Teen Challenge? Yeah, absolutely. So Adult and Teen Challenge, we are an organization and we are passionately driven by our mission to provide communities, families and individuals freedom from the impact of life-controlling addictions. And so we work with all kinds of different people from all walks of life and we want to help people that are stuck find freedom and find hope. Well, we this last year, I believe it was the first year that we had this Radiothon, and we couldn't believe how emotional a day it turned out to be because it was just emotional story after emotional story, and you hear the ads. We heard an ad earlier this morning on our radio station about a young man who was trying to had to, had to, was able to break free from fentanyl thanks to your organization. So you you mentioned that it affects so many different people differently, like. The, you, do you, I guess you probably meet and help people from all walks of life. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's so easy to um, to judge other people and you see people on the, the side of the street and, you know, you sort of roll their eyes and think, oh, you know, just clean up your life, go get a job or, you know, these flippant thoughts that we have. But when you actually meet these people and you take some time to sit across from the table, have coffee with them, hear their story, I mean, you, you hear some absolutely heartbreaking stories of abuse that they've experienced as a young person or, you know, one of the guys, his wife passed away and then his sister passed away and he just experienced so much death close by. And unfortunately, we all deal with things in, in different ways. And for some people, you know, that leads them down a really bad path. And the challenge is, is it's, like, it's like quicksand. Once you're in, you just start going down and down and down and unless somebody comes alongside and says let me help uh there's just no hope and to look into the eyes of somebody that is completely hopeless and see the transformation post-program where all of a sudden the hope and the peace and the joy has been restored man i'll never get tired of, of doing that it's incredible you know, we hear all the time and quite often in the last year, maybe, you know, three or four years even, Danny, just about the need that is out there and the deep concern about the enormous rise in various drug use in the city and country. What is Adult and Teen Challenge seeing in terms of just the demand for help because there's so many people in need? Yeah, I mean, it, it's one of those situations where, 
there's so many different people affected and through so many different avenues. And so, so for some people, you might have heard of the phrase uh, like a functioning addict, where for some people they they are um, using drugs recreationally um, and they think that that's okay. But then what happens is is they start to get, again, like that quicksand analogy, deeper and deeper and deeper. And so what starts as a, a social norm where people are, are using this drug or that drug ends up spiraling down for some people. And, um, yeah, for us, we, we see people from, from all walks of life with um, life-controlling addictions to all different things, and not just substances either. You know, very often drugs and alcohol, but for some it's pornography. For some it might be, you know, even something as simple as video games. Um, I know that sounds light compared to some of the other things that, that we experience, but, but people's, people's lives are complex, and we want to come alongside and work with them and say, let us help you find this hope and find this freedom that your soul craves. Well, the Radiothon is happening on next Friday on the 15th. And what will the funds raised in the, we've only got about 60 seconds, but what will the funds yeah. raised in the Radiothon go towards in your organization? Yeah, so, so we have many different ways that, that the funds are used in, in many different areas and different projects. So one of the big things that we're doing right now is is we have this major project on Kate Street. You're going to be hearing more about that. And one of the things that we really want to lean in is, is short-term detox. When people come to us, um, we can bring them immediately into our long-term programs because that's a place of safety and stability for the clients that are already there. So what do we do with somebody that needs to be detoxed? And sometimes just sending them to a different location, we end up losing them. But if we could bring them in and say, yes, we can help you immediately, day one, because we have a short-term detox up and running, uh, that's going to be huge. And so uh, that's in the works. And then, of course, the family reunification piece as well to reconcile husbands to wives and, and kids to their parents. It's, it's incredibly exciting. And so, yeah, and you can check it all out on the website as well, uh, teentalents.tc, and you're going to hear some tremendous stories September 15th. So make sure you tune in. Danny McVeigh is the Regional Program Director for Adult and Teen Challenge in Central Canada. Danny, thank you very much for the time. We appreciate it. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And once again, that website is teenchallenge.tc. Uh, that will take you to Teen Challenge, Adult and Teen Challenge in Central Canada. And the Radiothon, the Be a Part of a Story Radiothon, in support of Adult and Teen Challenge, happening on Friday, September 15th. It is McGarry and McNabb. Mackling is off today. We are asking you about, inspired by the fact that the Leisure Guide is now out, and you can register for stuff next week, and I've been going through it, and can't, I've never actually looked at the Leisure Guide, and I can't believe the number of fitness classes, uh, re- relaxing things that you can learn and t- and do. Uh, there's got to be a painting one in there for you, Loren. Maybe some martial arts classes for Cam. And uh, we want to know from you what's an activity or a sport you wish you had tried, never did try, maybe would still like to try. And uh, Jeff is our runner-up here. So we'll start with Jeff, because Jeff said, I had a robust, active, outdoor lifestyle, and I was diagnosed with a heart condition at a relatively young age. I admit that I was pretty down and depressed. Fortunately, a friend with a similar problem gave me great advice. Don't focus on what you can't do. Focus on what you can do. My wife and I love to go on country drives. So of all things, we decided to... Adopt a highway, something I would have never considered. So now a couple of times a year, we get out east of Winnipeg and look after our eight kilometers of road. 
So I'm outdoors again, as active as possible, and feeling very fulfilled. Focus on what you can do. I love it. I'm actually looking up the Adopt a Highway Permit Program now, like how you can apply <laughs> yeah. to get a section. Because that's just a neat thing to do. You get out, you clean. I think they supply you know, the bags and things that you you might need and you pick up the garbage and you clean that ditch and feel good about it. I love it. Great job, Jeff. But Julie is our winner, Loren. Julie uh, really impressed us with her, uh, what's the word I'm saying, fortitude, her persistence. And it came in just as we threw out the question, is there something you always wanted to try or just started to try after years and years of thinking about it? And seconds later, Julie texted with this. I lost 75 pounds and was looking for something to keep me fit. I tried badminton, but an injury took me out of the sport for good. So I had to look again for a low-impact sport that would work for me and my body. I had watched the Olympics and was always fascinated by rowing. Last year in June, I took a learn-to-row class and was hooked after my first lesson. This year, I decided to level up to competitive masters and competed in two regattas this summer. I found my sport and love the thrill of competition. So, Julie, you found your sport. So now you're going to go watch another sport, the Banjo Bowl, this weekend. And if you ever need someone to be the yeller in a regatta, regatta, I'm your gal. You know? Like, I don't know if it's the back of the canoe or whatever you, you know, or if it's the on the side on the boat, you know, where you just scream, the screamer. If you are on a team who, that requires someone like a caller, that is... It's such an important job because you, that person doing the screaming is is dictating the uh, rhythm and the yep. speed at which you're going. It is a huge responsibility. And oh. yeah. See, that seems like less fun. I wanted more <laughs> yelling and less responsibility. <laughs> well, there's got to be a way to, you can get both.